0: Hey, this is Dave Pryor for Leading Agile Sound Notes. Before we start the podcast, I wanna give a quick overview of what it's about. A few weeks ago, Tim Wise and I did a podcast talking about what it's like to work as an Agile coach. And this week in the podcast, Rick Austin, John Tanner, and I talk about what it's like to work as a consultant. So this podcast is not specifically focused on Agile or Agile transformation. Well, we do touch on that, but the main focus of it is what it's like to work as a consultant in IT. So if you're somebody who's considering making a transition and moving into consulting, there's a lot about working that way that people don't tell you before you get into it. And we're hoping that this conversation will give you an idea of some of the things you can expect, some things you might need to make adjustments for in your professional life, but also in your personal life so that you can survive and and do a good job working as a consultant and and have it be something that is sustainable over a longer period of time. And before you start listening, I do want to also mention that when we first started the conversation, John's connection wasn't that great. We fixed it a few minutes in, but during the first couple minutes of the podcast, you will hear occasional dropouts when John's talking. That's it. hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Hey, this is Dave Pryor for Leading Agile Sound Notes. Today, I am joined by Rick Austin and John Tanner, and we're going to talk all about consulting. So thanks for listening. And we may be joined by Rick's dog. So Rick, what is your dog's name?
1: Uh, it's Cooper. He's Cooper a three-legged
0: foster failure. <laughs> wow! And Cooper has been yapping up a storm in the background while we were getting ready. So, Cooper may join and may have some some wisdom to share about consulting. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I did a podcast about coaching. So this is a slightly different one. If you are working in a company and you're thinking about you know moving out of like your your straight up regular job on site maybe scrum master, whatever, and you're moving into a consulting kind of a gig, it's a very different world. Um, and John, you were the one that kind of had the idea for this. So can you talk about the, the question your friend asked?
2: We've kind of been in a scrum master role, but they're exploring how to get in the consulting space and what it actually meant. And through those conversations, I realized that um, they just, they didn't really have any context behind what the consulting world is like. And we, we kind of see that when we interview people too, trying to join in the position. So Kind of a PSA here, you know, just, just help people understand what is behind consulting,
0: what it takes, and kind of what the pitfalls are to it. Yeah, it's very it's a very different world. I had So I did a, a podcast a couple weeks ago with Tim, and the question was for somebody who'd been a scrum master, how did she become a coach? Um, so this is a nice parallel to that. Um, so Rick, you're the first full-time consultant at Leading Agile, right? That's correct. And what did it do to your world when you left your straight-up regular gig? Um, well, from a personal perspective, it, it, it improved my world.
1: Um, it allowed me to focus on things that I really enjoy doing um, and allowed me to stop doing things that maybe are not value add. Uh, it also allowed me to, to interact and work with so many different types of clients and industries, uh, which, which just
2: personally is just very interesting to me.
0: Okay. And, and John, what about you? How did you end up being a consultant?
2: It's actually kind of back to my roots. When I was much younger, in my early 20s, I was doing consulting, flying around all over the place, installing various hardware for customers, and then fly right back out. So once I got really embedded in the Agile world, it was just kind of mixing that prior life with the current life, uh, taking those skills in both areas and smashing them together.
0: All right. So can we let's talk about the first transition, because to me, that was the hardest part. And Rick, I, I know you have to travel, maybe not as much. I mean, you do a lot of work in, in your home area, but that aspect of consulting and john maybe you picked it up right out of school or closer out of school but that's pretty dramatic the way that it impacts a human's life right
1: yeah it does um yeah so so i've you know i've had different uh times in my career at leading agile where i traveled a lot um you know on the road every week um i've been pretty fortunate and a lot of my clients are based out of uh, this area that i live in um, or, or they may have offices in separate places and travel somewhat. Um, you know, from a personal perspective, uh, there's a reason why the last six to nine months, uh, it's been uh, beneficial for me not to travel. And, uh, you know, uh, leading agile has been very gracious and supporting me in that, that respect. So, but yeah, when you, when you get into this, this role and and you start to do travel, I mean, that's just a new aspect to your life. If you haven't really done that a lot.
0: Yeah, I think it's, I mean, for me, it took, it took years and especially with the marriage, like that takes years to sort that out too. But just coping with the being gone all the time and it's like you live in a different world than normal people.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all that's these
0: right. like that movie Up in the Air, like you have all these rules about airports and stuff like that. Um I mean, John, you've got a young daughter, so that's that's pretty tough, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so no matter what you do, if if you're on the road that much, you've got to schedule it properly because you know, family does come first. Uh, and, and if you're gonna be gone for four days a week, you've got to make those other days count. So it really is it's not just part of the job. it's it's a whole lifestyle change. You wind up uh, shaping your entire life around uh, the way we work.
0: Yeah, it affects your whole I mean, your whole family's life changes. That was that was a thing that took a long time. I mean, that to me, that would be my advice to anybody who's thinking about moving into this. You really have to prepare your family for it, but then the communication thing once you make that switch is critical. Yeah, I think you it. also
1: have to be very intentional about things. Um, you know, if you're, if you're working at home uh, or in your home area, um, it, it, the ability to go do things like just simple things like get your oil changed or service on your car. Uh, you have to be a lot more intentional when you're on the road four or five days a week.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think. And, then, it, and not
1: only that, but be intentional about making sure you are spending quality time with your family you can't, it just doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. And, and cause you get home. I mean, I had one where I'd get home Friday night, leave Sunday afternoon when you've only got like 30 hours to do laundry and squeeze in whatever quality time you can. It's pretty rough. How, how long do you guys think you can do that before needing to take some time off, like a break where you get to be home for a while?
2: Yeah, that is a, that's a really good question. I think everybody has a different it kind of depends on how they are, you know, scheduling their family life. Um, for me, I can go several weeks, a month, but but that's only because I schedule time with my daughter. I take time for it, right? Yeah. Um, but eventually you do. You need you need a solid week at home. <laughs> Rick mentioned, you know, getting the oil changed. My car had a maintenance yeah. light on it for like six months because I just could not get into the dealership, right? So it's little things like that. Yeah,
0: it's funny how all that stuff that everybody else takes for granted, you're like, oh my God, I get to go to the drugstore and pick up my allergy medicine. <laughs> 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 it's such an awesome thing to be able to do um yeah i can go my, my wife's rule for me now is two weeks i can't be gone more than 10 days i'm a horrible person when i get home um but that and that re-entry thing is difficult what about the job itself how does that change like rick when you went from being somebody who was on site to being a consultant how does your role shift
1: i think uh to, to build relationships and trust you have to be very much intentional about listening to people um, building relationships in an organization you're working with if you're if you're just working in a company and you come to that office every single day and you've got this core group of people around you then those interactions just happen Uh, not saying that you shouldn't do that even in those situations be more intentional about expanding your 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 um the group of people that you interact with but i think as a consultant since we are flying in um, typically, and, and you're you tr- mostly we're working with new clients. I think it's important to to focus on the relation side, relationship building side.
0: Okay. And John, what about you? How do you try to make an impact really quickly when you get there?
2: Yeah. So building relationships is important. There's there's also a caveat to that though. Um, so as as a consultant, you're expected to be an impartial, you know, third party observer almost. So you you kind of have to keep your distance a little bit because you're, you're really there to, uh, you know, fundamentally reshape an organization. And sometimes the things you recommend aren't gonna be too friendly to some of the people working. You're gonna wreck up their lives a little bit with reorganization or, you know, bringing in new practices and policies they don't necessarily wanna implement. So you have to build a strong relationship, um, but you also have to kind of keep it a little bit at arm's length so you stay impartial. Um, it's a very difficult balance as compared to just a normal nine to five. But the one thing I will add to that
1: is, and, and I agree with you totally, John, is, um, knowing yourself. I know me personally, I've taken profile, you know, tests and and I I know that I'm a a people pleaser. I, I like people to like me. And so there's, there's a benefit to that. But then to John's point, sometimes we have to, you know, Say the thing that uh, maybe the organization we're working with doesn't really want to hear. It may have an impact upon other people. Um, so you have to if you have to know yourself and understand the things that are necessary for you to be successful. And and if those are not natural things for you, you have to build up that capability.
0: Well, so let's say that somebody's coming out of a you know a regular nine to five and they're moving into this kind of work. Um, they're used to one environment. And they might've had a lot of time to build up the trust and whatever kind of trust capital they need to be able to spend. They're used to fighting one kind of battle. Um, they may have some, some of that self-awareness, but maybe not as total as you're, you're suggesting. Um, and they may also not be used to walking into an environment where a lot of people are gonna look, to them, look at them with sort of a bit of skepticism, like, oh, you're just here to plant yourself in and make yourself more necessary and take my job away. Um, and overcome that and build trust. How do you have things like tools or practices, or you know anything that you guys can recommend that somebody could start to learn about to make that transition?
1: Well, I'll give you a personal uh, example. When I first joined Leading Agile, one of the things that that Mike Kottmeyer told me, um, and he actually has a blog post on this, I believe, but we have to gain permission to coach or consult. So just coming into an organization, not having built relationships with guns a blaring or blazing, um, that that doesn't uh, give you the ability to affect change. And so part of this is making sure that we are, are listening to the client, understanding them, their problems, having empathy for their problems. And as we start to frame up our worldview of that organization and, get, and we gain their trust through listening, then you can start to become effective.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, there's something that uh, Davo Panchal said to me on a, a call we had not too long ago about when you walk in, there's an economic sponsor, but you also have to have a sponsor who invites you. Like it's I, I, I describe this as like, you're like the vampire waiting to get invited into the house when it comes to coaching. like You show up, you're there, you're ready to go. But if they don't welcome you and ask you for the help, you can't really do it, right?
1: That's exactly right. Totally agree with that.
0: So that's sort of a tough thing to, I mean, how do you entice people into doing that? Like, what are your tricks for that part?
1: I, I think um, understanding the roles people have in the organization, um, understanding who our stakeholders are, what what value they're trying to gain with us being present. And then having conversations with people, spending time with them, uh, helping them Mike often says this, uh, they need to like you. So be a part of discussions and dialogue with them, professionally and personally, and, and make sure they understand that you're not just coming in to tell them things to do, you're listening to their specific concerns, issues, and you're using that, and you're filtering that through your worldview to make sure that you can speak to them in their language Based upon the problems that you've observed and, and what they've communicated to you. We really want to respect them.
0: Okay. And John, what about you?
2: Yeah, so it, it's another thing we commonly say all the time: lead with the why. And so when you're working with anyone, whether it's an analyst or an executive, you need to explain to them why you're there, what benefits you're trying to drive. So we have all sorts of diagnostic tools and assessments that can be really scary for people when you're when you're asking, you know, how good are you at grooming your backlog? Do you understand your product vision? that can be scary questions. It could sound like, you know, a limited, uh, you know, it could sound like questions are there for punitive reasons. Yeah. Just explaining it and taking them through, the reason we're doing this is so we can support you in the areas that you need support in. It's where we can make it better. This is not a punitive exercise. It's just us learning and understanding. So being exp- extremely transparent on what we're doing and leading with the why we're doing it seems to settle them down. And then from there, it's like Rick said, establishing a dialogue. Um, they do need to like you. You don't have to be best friends, but you, you have to be likable. You have to be someone they can talk
0: to. Otherwise, you'll not make it anywhere. You'll not get the ground support you need. Well, so I'm curious to hear both of you respond to this. That's something that you can't really, I don't think, teach to somebody necessarily, like how to be likable, how to be a really good, I'm going to use the word social engineer, you know, how to get get yourself into an environment and have people want you to be there and, and invite you to participate in what's going on. Where did you both learn how to do that? Because I'm assuming you already had that before you got the gig of being a consultant. I mean, was it like a church thing? Was it a family thing? It's just a natural thing, something you practiced? For me, I think it's,
1: it's somewhat natural. Um, I I enjoy people. I I love to to be in social situations. Uh, it's easy for me to start a conversation with someone. So I think there's just a natural ability there. But there's there's also just building up your skills. I know there was a book I read back uh, in my prior life about. I think the title is something like How to Give and Receive Help, something like that. Okay. And one of the things that struck me in that book is. You know, we've all been in an office in a corporate environment and somebody comes by or your cube and, and says, hey, I'd, I'd like to talk to you about something. And so this person starts to give you information about this topic. Maybe it's a problem they're trying to solve. And we're so wired to just quickly solve a problem. And and the book talks about if we immediately say, well, you should go do X, Y and Z. What you've done is solve that problem. Yeah. but You ended the conversation. And maybe that, con- that, that problem was just the starting point for much bigger things to uncover. And so by listening and asking questions, kind of the five whys maybe as a technique, uh, continuing to pull that person in until maybe you get to what the real thing is that they want to talk about.
0: Okay. And John, what about you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've always been a very social person. And to me, the whole reason for agile, um, yeah, it drives better business practices, optimization, things like that. But it makes people's lives better. I truly believe that. So I really enjoy working with people to make their lives better. Um, I've always been, you know, easygoing with communication. I kind of think you have to be. Uh, To get anywhere in this field, you have to be able to work with people. So sometimes that's innate. But I mean, there's also, um, there's uh, just tons of books and practice for how to get this? One thing, when I was, um, you know, when I was young, just getting started, I had a terrible fear of public speaking. If you put me in a room with more than six people, uh, I would sweat, my heart would beat, I couldn't breathe. Uh, it was just really hard. I had to practice. I had to practice where I could sit down in front of a room of like three hundred people now and not even, you know, break stride. So, communication, maybe there's a bit of it that's innate. I mean, there are some people who are just really good communicators. But even the best of us, we have to practice it, you know, build our strengths and and make sure that we're covering for our weaknesses. Um, and it's a daily thing. It's part of the job, right? So some people go to conferences to learn, you know, tools of the trade or what's new. Uh, with a consultant, it's always honing your communication skills, reading the right books, uh, listening to the right podcasts, watching watching the right videos. It's it's part of our job.
0: Yeah. It's, hey John, so, the, oh, go ahead.
1: You're… Your, your, um having the fear of speaking I think that's just a common thing and I know for me personally I'm a musician um, I'm a vocalist I play instruments majored in music for a while but uh, my my initial exposure to being in front of a crowd was through church and singing and I'll never forget my sister and I and and another uh, cousin we were all singing this song together and I was holding the paper and um, uh, with the lyrics on it and I, I I remember just vividly even to this day and this was back when I was in my teens my the paper shaking I was so nervous, uh, but eventually over time, uh, I'm like you, John, I can get up, you know, a room full of people. It just doesn't bother me whatsoever. They're there for a reason. They want to be there. And uh, it just finally got to a place as long as you know, or as long as I know my topic well, I just don't have an issue with uh, speaking in front of people now, but it, it's something that you can definitely improve upon and and, and get better over time.
0: So I come from the opposite side of you guys. Like I am totally introverted. And when I was doing this stuff at EMC, you know, on client sites, I would have to literally force myself to get out of the cubicle and go talk to people. And it was, I'd have to like prep myself for it and just push myself into it. And I'm terrible at remembering names and I'd have to take like detailed notes about everything. Like what is a person wearing? What's in their office? Like anything I could do to help me remember stuff that might let me connect back with them. but. I, the public speaking thing was never so much of an issue for me because if it's a hundred people, I don't really care. But if it's like one-on-one, I'm in a state of shock. And especially if I don't understand the power relationship. Um, I also, I, I'm curious to hear from both of you about this. There were some people that I found that I just could not connect with. Like There's been t- probably two or three people that, and it's like mutually acknowledged, like we can't hang. <laughs> like Have you guys had that with anybody?
2: Oh, yeah. So I get that every now and then. It's pretty rare. But there are some people that that I realize halfway through the conversation where we're speaking the same words, but we're not speaking the same language. Yeah. Uh, one, one instance of that, I was interviewing someone for a position within leading agile. And the conversation was so just weird and awkward. By the end of it, uh, I contacted our recruiter and I said, that was just a strange, just send him to somebody else because we, we couldn't speak. And he contacted her and, that, I don't even know how that guy communicates. It it, it just happens. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you hit it sideways, right? But after that, uh, I reached back out to him because I felt like that was a failure, right? It's a failure on the part of the communicator. And we reestablished a dialogue and we were actually able to talk after that. So it happens, man. It happens when you're dealing with random strangers all week, every week as part of your job, you're going to run into those people that you just scratch your head over and try to figure out which one of us was, you know, which one of us was speaking. Or maybe,
0: maybe, yeah, maybe it's just those two signals are never going to match. I mean, that, that was the case with one guy in particular, like we tried and we were both like, yeah, we can't talk to each other. (laughs) Unfortunately, he was my client contact. So it was really weird. Um, Rick, what about you? Have you had that?
1: Yeah, I, I haven't seen that a lot. There, there may be situations um, where there may be other partners that I'm working with on, with a client that might be in a better position to communicate to somebody. So I've done that. Um, you know, if I just can't make any headway with someone, and and I, I think I, I, it resonates with me what John said. I think it's 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 not that person's fault. It's my fault. There's there's something about the way I'm communicating that's not resonating with that person, and maybe it's just a different technique. You know, one of the things we talk about as you build teams that stay together, we talk about this notion of team members start to understand how to communicate to each other. Uh, I've always used this example of, in, in teaching a class where, you know, maybe this person, Bill, is uh, a very detail-oriented person. Well, Rick is not. And, but if we're having a conversation and I'm not providing sufficient detail to this person who expects it, that's frustrating for them. Likewise, if this person is just overloading me, overwhelming me with with detail, I will be frustrated as well. So I think part of it is understanding the other side, and that's a very proactive thing we have to do, is to understand how we should communicate uh, with these people.
0: So this is interesting to me, and I hadn't really thought about this before, but you both kind of hit on the same point, and this is a huge shift, I think. If you're in an office, it's easy to be a victim. They won't let me do this. They won't let me do that. But you're both talking about communication struggles and you're taking ownership of that like fought for that it's your responsibility as the person initiating the communication to make sure that bridge is created and that it allows stuff to flow easily back and forth and you're not going to put it on the other person you're going to take that yourself and make that your job so there's this sense of i think on the consulting side a level of responsibility you have to take that maybe you don't when you're just sitting in an office do you think that's fair
2: yeah I certainly do so I mean the general rule of thumb is it's on the communicator to get his message across so if people aren't getting it then that's that's a communicators problem the thing with consulting is even if they're trying to communicate something to you you own that dialogue so so even if you're on the receiving end part of your job is to make sure you're understanding and that they're understanding your responses so it is 100 percent on us if there's a failure of communication we're the ones that have to fix it because that is literally our job
0: okay
1: I agree with that. I think um, it, it's on us. We own it, and it's it's not that person's responsibility. We have to we have to take ownership of that. And and how we deal with it may change and vary depending upon the situation, but we own it.
0: Okay. So when you guys moved, um, or I guess I mean now you know we bring new people into the company. You see some folks, and sometimes we hire people that are new to consulting. What do you think, or what what are a couple things that you each think? Like I really wish everybody who got in here understood this about consulting before they switched over like what are the what are the things people don't know that would help them make a better choice about whether or not this is the right path or how to prepare themselves for that kind of work
2: i've got a small example and it's one that, that i hit all the time you see a new consultant or, or somebody that's new to speaking with others and they're going to give a presentation or teach on a topic and they don't know their pacing and it's kind of really funny to watch somebody go through like a two-hour slide deck in 15 minutes, and then they've got an hour and 45 minutes of awkward silence in the room. So just preparing your presentation skills is a, I mean, it's a, it's a minor dip, but it's so important. Uh, the opposite is when they've got, you know, they're a little over eager, so they've got like a 20-minute slot, and they prepared a 400-slide deck. You know, you, you got to learn your pacing
0: on this stuff. So can I comment on that? Because I just gave a presentation on Monday at a conference, and I i mean, I'm used to adjusting all the time, and I think I'm really good at that. I feel like I'm very aware of it. I had a 90-minute slot, finished my slides the night before. I finished my talk in 45 minutes, and I had to do Q&A for 45 minutes. So I think it's not just pacing, yes, but you have to be able to... I, I think for me, one of the things that I always struggle is when they don't know how to take the room. Like... You don't know how to walk in and own the space. And if you have 45 minutes, you don't know what to do with that time. Like that awkward thing is the thing that's messed up. I think if you finish early, there's plenty to do. You just got to pick the right button to push. I feel the same way. Uh, I don't want to be just a talking
1: head, a person up there with something behind me and and just rambling on. Well, hopefully I don't ramble, but just spewing data and information constantly. I really, and I think this is part of consulting in general, uh, when you're working on the ground with a client is engaging people and to your point, holding your space, holding the room, drawing people into the conversation. Because again, that's part of what we talked about earlier. It's listening to them. And I think all three of us know that as you're doing presentations, you want want to adapt what you're doing during that session to make sure you're connecting better with that audience. And you can only do that by engaging them and, and bringing them into the conversation. And I think that same thing happens when we're on the ground with a client.
2: One of the really good examples of that, So it's a, one of the first times that Rick and I uh, spent uh, uh, any large amount of time together, like in a session. And it was a two-day uh, transformation workshop, working with a customer to talk about what their needs might be, explaining our model and all that. And we have a very nice long slide deck for that that we can go through. Um, but watching Rick go through it, he just picked up a pen and started on paper. And he was able to go through an entire two days without having to touch a slide at all. So it's not, it's not necessarily about the deck or the materials. It's really about knowing, knowing, you know, completely knowing what you're teaching or training on or what you're consulting on, knowing it by heart and being able to take the room along with you on the timeline
0: that you have for them. So this is the thing that I want to ask you both about, because I've never figured out a good way to do this. You just talked about taking the room along with you. You've both mentioned holding your space. I talked about owning the room. That's something that I, To me, a really good consultant, when they walk in, they just do that. It's not like something you have to tell them like, hey, take the room. That's just what they're going to do when they get in the room because that's the kind of person or professional or whatever they are. When you take somebody like John, you mentioned the person that didn't know how to give a good presentation. When you take somebody who doesn't know how to take the room and put them in a situation with a bunch of executives, it's it's painful to watch but how do you, I mean, do you think you can teach that? Like, I, I've always been curious as to whether that's something you're just, you just figure that out on your own or somebody can kind of coach you into it. Like for you guys, how did that happen or, or, or how do you try to help other people get there with that?
2: For
1: me personally, and I'm, I'm using my, me as an example. Yeah. If, if I am not clear on what I'm talking about if I don't understand the material I prepared, just in my core, yeah, then I'm I will struggle. I will not come across as uh, having authority. Uh, I won't come across as someone who who wants to engage because I don't understand the material. So, separating just the the, the personality of the of, of the consultant, just knowing your material and knowing your stuff. You've got to know it. You can't walk into a room just scratching the surface of this topic. You have to deeply understand. And, and I think that's something a consultant owns is their ability to learn what they do and make sure they've got it cold. I, I've been with Leading Agile for you know over six years or going on six years now. And um, like our, our decks around our two-day uh, class, I can teach those in my sleep yeah. without a day. You have to get to that level of understanding your material and content
0: so, and topic. I want before John before you go. I just want to plug one thing really quick. So I have been saying for my personal belief is that the only book you need to ever read to manage projects is the Art of War, and the whole thing is about preparation for the battle, and that's exactly what you're talking about. It's understanding not just the material but the people you're going to be in front of, and you talked about self awareness too. I mean, if you don't have those three things, you're screwed. You're right. That's right. So John, what were you going to say? Sorry for interrupting.
2: Oh no, no worries. Um, so. To so me, it's, it's exactly what you guys are talking about, having a mastery of the subject. If you walk into a room confident, that's how you can own it and control the room. It's not about asserting dominance. It's about having an authoritative answer to any question that may came up, come up. Now, sometimes you'll get the weird oddball question that catches you and knowing how to handle those, you know, deferring them to later or, or doing your research later. Um, that's one thing, but just knowing the topic matter and never being caught off guard. Because as soon as you're caught off guard once, um, that lowers your confidence in yourself and the room can kind of sense it. So they'll either clam up on you because they don't trust you, or they'll become you know, kind of brutal and go for the throat trying to dig deeper.
1: Well, John, there's something I want to, to jump on that you said is um, being able to answer questions. I think also, being a human, we don't know everything. We, we have a good understanding. We've done this for quite some time. We have pretty good answers to, for most questions or scenarios that we find ourselves in. But sometimes you're just not going to be able to answer the question. And I think having the being humble, humble to, to, to say to that person, I don't know, but we'll figure this out together.
0: I think it's more than humble. I think it's having the confidence because that to me, that was a big turning point. I did a lot of time trying to dance through answers and that's happened, you know, we're like, suddenly I find myself like adrift. I'm like, Oh crap. I don't know what <laughs> right. I'm talking about. They know. I don't know what I'm talking about but getting <laughs> to the point where I was okay. Saying, listen, I have no idea. That to me was a huge, huge step, but I, I think, agree. yeah, go ahead. John. Yeah.
2: Once you're to that point, you, you got to get to that point of confidence in yourself, especially in this field, right? Cause you're, It's not your, you're not going to show up to your nine to five the next day and be able to go, yep, guys, I kind of screwed that one up. Let me try it again. You need to be on point uh, as often as possible. So just having that confidence in yourself and the ability to say, I just don't know, guys, Uh, but we'll continue the conversation. I'll get you an answer.
0: Do you guys think that there is um, any way to get all of this other than. That sort of knock around guys thing of 500 fights to figure out how to not worry about fighting, like you've got to just tank and make mistakes and fail and it's all school of hard knocks? Or do you think that, did either of you have a way of getting here that didn't involve, oh my God, I forgot to wear my pants to work today moments? (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a little of both. Definitely the hard knocks. Those are the lessons you learn when you're caught slack-jawed in front of an audience and you realize you don't even know what you're talking about. That's yeah. a good lesson to learn. But also like partnering with people that are really good at it. Oh, partnering you can with them emulate, yeah. asking them questions. Yeah. So, you you know, Dave, if you're training something for the first time, you might go shadow somebody as they train it so you can kind of see what the approach is, what the topics that might come up are. So, you don't have to do it all on your own. Find a good person in the space and just ask, hey, can I sit with you? Can yeah. I help you out? I, can I co-instruct here? I'll, I'll go get the coffee for everybody.
0: Or just watch.
1: Yeah. 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 I think I, I think having a good mentor, I know that in our company, uh, when I first joined, I worked side by side with Mike and, and he was very influential in helping me get to a level of confidence that, that I needed to be effective. I, I've also seen where we've we paired up new people with existing consultants in our company, uh, to help make sure that we can help with that transition to, to doing this work. I think all of those things are very important. And, um, I think we owe it to those people because everyone's coming into an organization with different background. And so there's this assumption that they understand what we do and how we do it. We, we can't assume that we have to make sure people, uh, are, are mentored and given material necessary for them to make, and then they have to make investment in themselves. Um, to, to get them to a level of, of competency and um, understanding of what we do.
0: I, I think that they should also not make the assumption that we're expecting them to know everything right out of the gate, especially like at Leading Agile, where it's a very specific model, and it takes a little while to get your head around it. I wouldn't expect somebody who's you know been here a week or two to be able to just get up and dance that in front of a client. That's right. What do you, for, for both of you, I'm curious about obstacles. So that was one of the topics we said we wanted to touch on. And before we kind of finish out the interview, um, what, are the, what are the things about this job that make it really, really hard?
2: I mean, we touched on it at the beginning, but the hardest part is managing personal time, personal space, family time. Um, your social calendar gets very interesting when you're on the road four or five days a week or even weeks at a time. But you've got to make sure and keep those connections. Um, I had a bad habit when I started back on the consulting road of putting all my focus into work. And then I looked up and realized I haven't seen my best friend in like six months. Yeah. So you've got, you've got to make that personal space and you've got to protect it the entire time. If you, you know, if you don't pay attention, um, then, then you'll start losing those social connections and that's part of what keeps us sane and healthy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if you guys feel the same, but when I, I, for me, it feels like when I leave the house time stops and time doesn't start again until I get back to the house, but when I get back and it's been two weeks and everybody else's time didn't stop, I'm like, "What the hell happened here? Like, <laughs> how dare you have lives without me? I mean, do you guys have that? Uh,
2: that is so true.
0: It, it's it's a weird bubble you go into. Rick, what about for you? What's the what's the biggest obstacle?
1: Um, I I think that around travel, uh, make, making sure that we're just dis- making sure there's clear space between work and non-work, uh, that's in our connected lives. It's so easy to, to get lost in work stuff, you know, from your phone or your, your computer when, when you really need to, especially when you're traveling, you need to just put put some guardrails up and, and keep all of that out of your psyche when you're truly trying to spend time with friends and family. I,
0: do, I think, I, I want to add one more thing to this. I think it's important to have friends that are in the same boat as you. Um, Because there's little things that that will irritate each of us from travel or whatever that no one else, if you say this to normal people, they're like, what's wrong with you? You know, (laughs) like, I mean, like all those little travel things that just set you off. Um, Do you guys have support circles like that where you're like, these are the people I bitch to about the fact that, you know, there was too much air freshener in the hotel room again or whatever? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of those good friends are
2: within leading agile itself. So we've got a good, we've got a good internal network here. I think that's important too for consultants looking, or people looking to get into consulting, find the right company to go with, you need a company that can have that kind of family, because uh, you're going to be on the road, you're going to see your coworkers more than you see your family for several portions of the year. Yeah. So Looking at that, not just at what the pay is or what their subject is, but looking at what their culture is, is extremely important. Because I've worked for consulting companies that, um, that made that travel aspect 10 times worse than it would normally be.
0: Yeah. I think that's a that's thing for the companies, too. I mean, do they like we're very lucky? Um, a lot of the noise has been taken out of our system compared to what I've had at other places.
1: I think it's very unique what we have here. And, uh, and I'm, I'm in the same situation as John. My support group are the great friends I've made at, at Leading Agile, and yeah. we truly have friendship. It's not just a a, um, a company thing. It's it's we really enjoy being with each other. Yeah. We have some crazy smart, funny people, and and being able to reach out and and talk about things uh, related to what we do and some of the struggles and challenges has is has is, 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 been a very positive thing. And and everyone is very helpful. Uh, rarely do you. You reach out to someone that they don't immediately come back and, and support you in some way.
0: Yeah. So one one last question for you, each. Do you? I'm curious as to whether or not you have this. Um, there's some people at our company that I've talked to, and there are aspects of their life, whether it's you know some friendships that they have, or a hobby, or it's church or something else, that that is a very enriching thing that is kind of like what recharges them and fills them up to come back to it. You know, maybe it's a mentor relationship or something where. It's not work, and it fills your cup back up. Do you guys have, I mean, Rick, maybe for you it's music, but do you have things like that, and how important has that been to develop that despite the fact that you're gone so much? Well, music,
1: music is one, one of the areas
0: that, that does that for
1: me. I've, I've been in a band. We've been together. We started in a software company back in the 90s, so this band's been together for over 20 years, and, and we, we practice every week that we can, we write songs, we record. Uh, it's a great group of guys. We've we've uh, just it recharges me. It, it's it's like plugging in my you know battery pack into the wall and, and filling it back up. Yeah. There are other things in in addition to that that I do. I, you know I live on a, a small lake here, and um, my wife and I really enjoy getting out on our pontoon boat. And it's quiet because it's electric. There's no noise here, and and just spending time and you know being a part of nature and, and just recharging.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah, I'll give a plus one to that. Making time to get out in nature—it's really easy when you only have, you know, three days at home a week to forget that there's, you know, a beautiful world outside. So for me, <laughs> one of the things I love to do is actually, you know, go out and fish or sit on a lake and read a book or something like that, and get outside of the, you know, inside of an aircraft. Actually, go remember that there's a sun shining out there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's so it's funny that you both said that because I'm always like, I get home, my wife's like, "Do you want to go?" I'm like, "No, I want to sit on the couch." Where are we going to go? I'm just going to sit on the couch. For three straight days, I'm not gonna move. I just want to watch television on the couch with my family and my animals and nothing else. Um,
1: but I it's guess funny you
0: say well, it funny you say
1: that because I've had situations where in this early on we were had a client and we we're hiring some people and these people shadowed me when I did a two day course and we did over the period of two two weeks I did eight solid days of training. And oh my it just gosh, wears
0: you out. That would take and a month I, to recover from for me. Eight no, straight days. And,
1: well, I would get home and my wife's like, why's your day? What you been doing? And I just don't want to talk.
0: <laughs> yep, yep. Yep. I know exactly how, how that feels. <laughs> and it's not, the thing the, is, it's not that igno- you want to be rude. You just don't have anything left. That's right. Yeah. Just ignore the old guy in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. So if folks want to get in touch with either one of you um, for to, to follow up with questions about this, uh, John, what's the best way to reach you?
2: Uh, You can get me at john.tanner at leadingagile.com or my Twitter or Facebook handles, which uh, I'm sure you'll put in the post.
0: Yes, I will, now that you mentioned it. Rick, what about
2: you? Yeah, uh, rick at leadingagile.com
0: and um, my uh, Twitter handle uh, as well, uh, Rick Austin. Okay, cool. Thank you very much for doing this. This was great. I really appreciate it. And enjoy your weekend on the lake or on the couch, whatever you're doing. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate the time, man.